computational design with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the Robohub podcast. In today's episode, we will learn about computational design and physics-based modeling with Bernard Tomaszewski, a research scientist at ETH Zurich and professor at the University of Montreal. Physics-based models are used by animators to create realistic movies and video games. And they're also used by engineers to create realistic simulations and perform design optimization. Researchers use design optimization to create mechanical metamaterials from composite materials such as metal or plastic. These metamaterials are artificial structures with mechanical properties that are defined by their structure, so by their shape or size or arrangement, rather than being defined by their composition. This means metamaterials, mechanical properties, can be designed to have values that cannot be found in nature. Tomaszewski speaks to our interviewer Lily about his work at the intersection of art and technology, sharing his experience at Disney Research on Animation and talking about his current research on fabrication. Hi, welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself? Hello, my name is Bernard Tomaszewski. I am a professor for computer science at the University of Montreal in Canada, And I'm also a research scientist at ETH Zurich in Switzerland, which is where I'm currently based. And how do you split your time there? Well, I don't actually split my time at all. <laughs> I mean, I have, uh, I have still some students in Montreal that I'm supervising like remotely, um, which I would say works rather well. But other than that, it's been like, yeah, since I, I left about a year ago, I'm on, on leave from my position there. And I haven't been back also, I mean, primarily for the reason that we all, all are familiar with now in the pandemic. It's, it's been a little bit difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and how you got into both of these roles? Yeah, sure. I guess, you know, if, if I had to define what is it, what is it that I'm doing, um, I would say like I'm, I'm making algorithms or software um, for like design problems that allow average people, non-expert users to create things that they would otherwise not be able to create. So in these tools that we're developing, we're always looking to like abstract away the technical difficulty of the problem and let that um, be done by the computer such that the user can focus on, on the really creative parts of design. And I mean, one example for that is like mechanism designs for robotics and, and well, elastic structures, um, mechanical metamaterials, all sorts of things, where, as I said, it's always, we're always asking the question, how can we make it easier for both experts and novice users? So my background, um, I studied computer science and physics uh, a while back in Germany at the University of Tübingen. I did my PhD in computer graphics uh, because I was always fascinating, fascinated by the question of like, how can we generate motion with the computer? And uh, 
you know, computer animation, physics-based animation, that was just the ideal playground for me. So um, I did my PhD on like in large parts on cloth simulation, but also like many other things. I had some, some work on magnetic interaction in real time, always trying to make um, fast uh, yet accurate computational models for interactive applications. So um, once I graduated, I moved on to Zurich uh, where I did a postdoc at ETH and my postdoc supervisor there, um, Markus Gross, he was also the director of Disney Research. So soon after I started at ETH, she said like, why don't you come and join us at, at Disney? Because we do quite interesting things over there. So I did, and he was right. <laughs> very, very interesting things to be done at Disney Research. I stayed there for uh, like the better part of seven years. And yeah, then I moved on to my, my current positions in, in Montreal and back to Zurich uh, recently, a year ago. And now was your work at Disney um, sort of computer graphics in a more traditional Disney animation type sense? Yeah, yeah, that's what it started with. Uh, so we were initially working on like physics-based animation with uh, the target of like animated movies. How can we make tools, simulation-based tools for the animators, uh, for example, at the Disney Animation Studios that would help them to create uh, physical detail in whatever they 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 need more easily and, and and ways that they can better control. So that was initially the driving motivation for me. And I mean, it was immediately clear that there was a lot to learn in that setting um, already because, you know, there's like so many great talent at Disney itself, the company and the animation studios also at the parks. But also there were, at the time when I joined Disney Research, it was, it had just started like a few years before and there were lots of great uh, people coming in, starting with me at the same time. So it was like really at, uh, a lot of synergy and, and, and really, really great atmosphere there. That's awesome. Could you talk a little bit about some of the biggest technical challenges in physics-based animation? Yeah, I would say that um, from our perspective, um, apart from the fact that it initially was challenging to understand what is it actually that the animators or the technical directors uh, need and what, what are the problems that they think should be solved versus what does the research world think <laughs> are the big problems to be solved. Um, it's, it, it turns out that those are not exactly the same uh, models, <laughs> mental models, but at least there's a fair bit of overlap. And so the problems that we were mostly interested in was that, you know, let's say you're looking at like an, an animated movie where the characters, they're wearing like clothing, of course, and they have hair. And in some of these movies, um, you know, the clothing or the hair can actually be a very important part of the personality. I mean, there are many examples from, the, from Pixar and from Disney Animation Studios of movies where that is actually the case. So, and when they, when they generate motion uh, for clothing or for hair and for muscles, that's what, what, we, what we call secondary motion because that's supposed to follow the primary motion of the, of the character. But this secondary motion, we have expectations on it to be like physically plausible, right? It should be realistic. At the same time, it needs to underline and emphasize the, 
the character it needs to be expressive right so if you just do like physics simulation out of the box chances are that this is not what the animators want and the question is how do you reconcile physics-based simulation and art directability and that's uh, what we've been working on a fair bit in the first like three or four years that i was at disney research interesting and then when you moved sort of away from physics-based animation into computationally aided design, would you say that the transition was mostly in what the user wants instead of being yeah. animated emotions? It is certain um, mechanical characteristics or is there a bigger jump than that? It's a good question. So I think there are like several ways in which you could say like this is a natural continuation of what I was doing before. On the technical level, um, there are many, many of the... Um, yeah, the theoretical background, the algorithms and the, the, the frameworks that we were using for animation, it turns out that when you're optimizing these parameters to, to create some motion in, in the virtual world, the same algorithms can be, well, with adaptations perhaps, can be used to also like do design optimization in the real world. So that was, for me, it was sort of a revelation that when I, when I learned that, yes, this actually what we've been working on can also be applied to different settings in the real world. That was, uh, that was one thing. The other was that Disney is a very large company. And of course, they're well, well known for the movies that they make, but also for the theme parks. And uh, we had very close connections to the Disney Imagineering, which is the, the, the unit at Disney that uh, designs, creates the parks. And in particular, R&D, uh, the research and development department within Imagineering. So and those are the, the people that make like all the great things, the, 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 the wow factors in the parks, everything that's like using technology to create the magic. So at, when you set foot for the first time into this lab, it's, yeah, it's just like mind-blowing for, uh, for somebody like, uh, like me at least, uh, where I saw like all the amazing things that they do and so many, like so many new problems that I hadn't thought about. Uh, so yeah, that's essentially uh, how I, how I went from just animation to computational design in the real world. So how much of what's um, at the Disney parks right now goes through the sort of computationally aided design process that you work on and where are you, where are you pushing the state of the art? Well, I mean, it's a very hard for me to say what are all the things that are based <laughs> on computational design. Um, also, I should probably not speak for Disney since I'm not working for Disney anymore. Um, but I, I guess that, you know, um, for Disney, it's never like the technology is never something that's in the center. They're not making an attraction or a show that's based on technology, right? Technology is always something that supports the story that they they want to tell, the experience that they want to create. So how much computational design is in there? Much of what's used to create like these attractions or many other things, and uh, in, in, in not just by Disney or other com but by other companies as well, they're using like the traditional um, software that's available, and like CAD software. Not sure whether I should list uh, some names here. Mm. But I mean, you know, it's those softwares, I would say, when you say they're computer-aided design, um, 
the, the question is who's aiding whom, right? I mean, is it is it the computer that aids the designer or is it more the designer aiding the computer in, in solving these problems? So most of the existing tools, I would say, are more like, it's all it's a lot about geometry create creation and like you as the designer you have to essentially translate your design intent your idea to something that the computer understands but the computer is not really helping you to solve design problems so coming back to your question if you're asking like how much of what we see in the parks or maybe in in general in in the world around us is driven by computational design i would say not that much actually it's uh, mostly it's mostly human design that is translated into some digital form through a cad software mm. so you mentioned that um that was largely like technology aiding art and i imagine that the space you work in now is almost closer to technology aiding technology um how yeah. has that has that changed the tone of the types of problems you solve not really, not that much. I mean, Disney did have my time at Disney had certainly had a, a, a huge impact on on like my research and my research directions that I uh, that I continued afterwards. But you know, even during uh, while working at Disney, we were really asking like looking to solve like more fundamental problems than just very specifically. Do you have a technical solution for this particular problem that we have right so that and, and that hasn't changed that we're mostly driven by fundamental questions like how can we help people to use computers in their in the design process more efficiently than than what current software is doing that's still a driving motivation for us today so what are some of the um the projects that you are currently involved in? Like, how are we <laughs> doing, the, doing this? Well, um, so we, what are some of these projects? So I have been focusing recently uh, a fair bit on mechanical matter materials. Um, and one, you know, one direction that I'm uh, curious about is like exploring how much can we use digital fabrication? How can we use digital fabrication to create materials that that are not easily created with traditional manufacturing processes? One particular question here is, if you have a 3D printer at home, can you make that printer create structures that are like something like approach the mechanical behavior of textiles, for example? So that's actually something that it's not an easy problem at all, uh, and and there are like certainly some barriers on the hardware side still. But also, you know, it's again the question: if you can play with the geometry of the structure, because like three D printers allow you to rather precisely control where you put material, where you don't put material. How can you use that uh, that uh, capacity, that potential, to create uh, to design material behavior that is like has some desired complex properties on the macroscopic level. So that's one thing uh, that I've been looking in. And, and, but also there, you know, I, I like the intersection of art and technology. And, you know, um, if you're thinking about like digital, digitally printed fashion, then this is something um, that, I, that I like to explore that I'm currently looking in a bit. 
So that's one example. We're also working um, on more robotics-related applications. And this is not to say, you know, mechanical metamaterials is also robotics-related. But there are um, um, other projects where we are, for example, have been asking questions, how can we use uh, compliant structures that is like uh, structures that like mechanical systems that deform elastically as opposed to the traditional ones where you know you make a machine and you assume that all the components are very rigid and they don't deform um so we're going away from that the traditional paradigm and asking like how can we leverage controlled elasticity compliance in order to create new new types of of robots or structures that we can then use in robotics applications and what are some of the um the end goal robotics applications that kind of excite you or motivate this work? Yeah, so robotics, I, you know, I, I am not a roboticist, neither by uh, education nor really by the, the, the focus of the work that I'm doing. But I, I, am, I am definitely interested in, in seeing how we can, like, put these, these design tools that we developed into into practice by building like robots that are like autonomous they're they're mobile they can walk for example right uh, um, and and one specific um, question here is again how can we use compliance in these structures to maybe come up with uh, designs that are more robust in terms of like uh, like you can push them more they can walk over over unknown terrain maybe in a in a more robust way, and perhaps also you know when you when you create control strategies for these robots, maybe also the compliance there makes your life easier yeah. uh, for for control these, for designing these controllers. So those are things that we're interested in, but it's it's not it's not really my core focus. So I wanted to go back for a second to the um, the mechanical metamaterials and ask, um, particularly in this 3D printing textile sort of example, how do you choose the um, input materials? How much effect does that have on it? And is is that part an art or a science? <laughs> I mean, we're certainly uh, limited by the available materials. Um, you know, there's... There still there are a lot of materials that you can choose from, but the spectrum it's not that you can say like, oh, I can go from silk to cotton and to whatever jersey materials there are into spandex. It's not that you, you don't quite have that gamut. But in some sense, even though it's like maybe uh, disappointing if you really wanted to print your own clothing on a on a uh, available three D printer at home tomorrow. Maybe that's not working, but, you know, it's a challenge for us to still ask the question, like, how can we push the gamut of the macroscopic material behavior with a limited set of materials that we have available, right? Can we leverage the structure to get more interesting behavior out of this? Is there an interesting interplay between, like, the, the visual, the patterns that we can make and their mechanical performance? Uh, and and then again, how can we how can we allow designers like fashion designers um to to navigate spaces of patterns with respect to both aesthetic goals and mechanical properties so hypothetically how far out um in time do you think we are before people at home 
can just print clothes. I I feel very hard pressed to give like <laughs> of, it. It's also the question, you know, if if do you really want to print like something that is like the traditional clothing that we all wear today? You know, if if we're talking about, for example, maybe some customized sportswear or like the the upsold of a sneaker, I think those are things that are not so far away. But if you hope to have something like a yeah, a pair of jeans or something like that out of the printer, I think that you probably have to wait a little bit longer still. <laughs> um, are textiles one of the most challenging types of things to fabricate or what are some other examples of challenging end materials i mean everything is challenging, everything is actually. challenging. There, are, there are a few <laughs> things that are really easy to do even if we are like or especially if we're talking about 3d printers you know even if you were saying like i just want something and material that behaves the same in every direction an isotropic material turns out that it's not that is not so easy to do with the printer uh, but textiles, yeah, textiles are, um, in a way, they are sort of metamaterial, right? They they are made from yarns, and then still at the macro level, you look at them, they look like sheets that have some very specific behavior. Uh, one particular aspect is that you can, um, along the yarns, they're pretty stiff, but in the diagonal direction, the shearing, they're much softer. And that's just the result of their microscopic structure, the yarn structure, right? And so that makes it very very interesting for us to model that because it's difficult, right? The behavior that we are seeing there is is nonlinear because the deformations are large. So already we're looking directly in, into the nonlinear regime, and their design is much more much more challenging in general. But it's also very interesting. Yeah, in your um, in your physics background, did you focus on materials, or did you have did you have any idea that you would sort of end up in this space? Not back then, but I uh, I like to think back of uh, a few courses that I actually had in physics. Uh, that I mean, you know, in hindsight, maybe they were foreshadowing the path that I would take. I, I'm not sure, but I had one one course uh, that I probably like best was on like semiconductors like where we were creating like solar cells um structure materials at a very very different level right at the nano scale rather than than the centimeter scale what we're doing now um but yeah i i guess like this was i i was always intrigued by material behavior and by the question of how we can make materials to behave in the way we want them to Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it seems like you've had kind of just a wide variety of interesting experiences. Yeah, I was uh, I was pretty lucky, fortunate, as, at least I consider myself to, that way. That's great. Well, I think that's um, pretty much all the time we have. But thank you so much for speaking with me. All right. Thank you very much. And that is all from us for today. But before you go, just a quick reminder that you can find more information about this and all our past episodes at robohub.org forward slash podcast. And if you think there's a topic or expert we should speak to, have a question about one of our episodes, or maybe would like to get involved yourself, well, then get in touch with our president, Abate, at abate.de.mey at robohub.org.
We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Computational Design with Robohog, the podcast for news and views on robotics.